so yeah, welcome to our new meditation home for this evening, the library. Um, it's actually funny that you asked the question about routine and meditating in the same place every day on the day that we're meditating in a different place. So I can maybe start with some personal kind of stories that link up to these questions about starting and intentions. Um, so when I was in college, I first made contact to Buddhism and the monk who ended up ordaining me, he came and he traveled and he gave talks like around the world, but his only stop in the US was actually at my school at the University of Hartford for whatever weird reason. So I ended up going and attending one of these talks and it was really powerful, it was really meaningful. It wasn't like a, um, a religious talk. It wasn't a talk on you know how to become a monk. It was really a talk about just this person sitting there shedding some understanding on the human condition, I guess I would call it. And I went to school for physics and then I eventually switched to fine arts. And the whole time, from my freshman year on, actually, I was president of the philosophy club um, at our school, too, because I really just wanted answers. I was interested in, I had a lot of questions, maybe. It's more like it. And, you know, physics was first my way of trying to understand the world. And then when I started getting into spirituality, I realized that what I was looking for was actually more subjective. And so I turned to art, which was more about my subjective experience with the world and how I process and translate the world and how I communicate that back out. And that became more interesting. But then when I you know, eventually left school, that was just full-fledged spirituality. Like, let's see how to be a monk and really do this. So when I was in school and I was in my art classes, I ended up majoring in media arts, so video art. And I remember that I rented out a video camera and our teacher would say to us, um, you know, make a video scrapbook is what he'd call it. So he said, take this camera and just make little things or just film things you find interesting just to start getting in the habit of, you know, videoing things. And I said, okay, and I took the camera and I remember I, you know, went around and I made a bunch of videos and I made some little funny shorts, some little, um, you know, I did, I remember one video I did, it was like the Flight of the Valkyrie, like that song, you know, dun, 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 dun. and it was kind of, you know, my hand going and turning on a light switch and then following along a wire to the light, you know, and then going back and then turning it off and then going back again. And it was like this, almost like pretending it's this really exciting thing. And, um, and I remember that I sat with my teacher and I showed him these videos that I made. And he'd been an art teacher for many years there. And he said to me, oh, you know, why did you make this? And I said, I don't know, no reason, I just did it. And he reprimanded me, you know, as I guess like a good art teacher needs to, because there's a lot of bullshit art out there, I would say. Um, but he said to me, everything that one does has an intention. Everything you do has a motivation. So to say nothing or no reason, that's not true. Because why did you decide to film this thing and not something else? What is it about this that spoke to you that was interesting? What was the play, the funny thing that you wanted to capture? What's behind that? And I realized, oh, that's true. And actually, I was just kind of being, I don't know, lazy or just kind of discarding his comment 
when I said, I don't know. And that got me thinking, and that also I think feeds into your questions, in a sense that everything that we do has motivation, right? So the fact that we're even sitting here in meditation class today, the fact that we even came here, why did we come? Why did we sign up for this class? What did we want to get out of this? Why are we here instead of at Not Your Average Joe's down the street, you know, or, you know, at a movie or just at home doing whatever? What is it that we came here to, to find, to get? What is it that we were hoping to kind of get in touch with? So even if you look at the fact that you're sitting here in this room, there's an intention buried within that already. And so when I talk about setting intentions, uh, and even when I'm in a yoga class and right, they say, okay, we're going to set an intention and do three ohms and send the intention out or whatever. I don't try to think, okay, what is my intention for class today? As much as I try to feel what brought me, what is the intention that's already actually in there and kind of dusting it off and then seeing what's going on in there. It's like, okay, actually I'm here because I want to start feeling good in my body again. I want to feel strong and empowered and, you know, and I think for meditation class, I remember the first day of class we went around and people, I said kind of, you know, let's do a little sharing about what you're doing here, what you want to get out of this. And everybody had a little something, reason why they, feels like it was forever ago, but, you know, and all of the things that everybody wanted had to do with, you know, having less stress or quieting down the mind or finding a way to be more balanced or, you know, they all fell on a similar ballpark, um, different aspects of it, but everyone was pretty much saying, you know, I, I'm looking for peace and whether that's because I'm very, un, you know, I'm, I'm not at peace in my daily life or I know it exists or I'm really stuck in a weird emotional thing or my life is stressful or I have physical things. So when we talk about our intention, I think it's pretty easy to say, and I would actually say for any sentient being, any creature, any animal, they also want happiness, right? Happiness, it's, this is one of the things the Dalai Lama says. If you really break it down to the base level, every living being wants to be happy. They want to be free and feel happy and, you know, have life and, and peace and contentment. And these are all the things that every creature wants. And um, when you start looking at meditation as a thing or as an activity, the kind of direction that's heading is towards happiness, towards peace, towards contentment, towards a feeling of wholeness. And that, again, has many different textures. Um, I sometimes say, you know, I have my, my little singing bell here, right? And if I asked you to describe this bell, some of you would say, oh, it's metal. Some of you would say it's smooth. Right? Some would say it's hard. Some could say it's cold. Some could say it's uh, round, circular. Some could say it, it's noisy. Right? All of those qualities, although different, are all accurate descriptions. They all correctly apprehend this object. And in the same way, when we talk about meditative bliss or joy or peace or calm or tranquility or contentment, these are all different qualities that are kind of wrapped around the same thing, which is just that, that still peaceful mind. And I think that if you just check inside, you'll pretty quickly find, and I think you know actually what it is you're looking for inside everybody here. In the Buddhist 
context of specifically meditating on themes, right? And I think this is also a Christian thing. I think it was also a Greek thing, right? It's just meditating on, um, didn't even Descartes, you know, the I think therefore I am, it came from something called meditations. It's almost that you take an object and you just keep reflecting on it until you slowly get more clarity about it and understanding and potentially even start embodying that thing. So, you know, you can meditate on something like love, right? You can meditate on, in, in Buddhism, we talk about meditating on death and meditating on how everything's changing. And there's different qualities and different things you can meditate on that help push your mind into a certain direction for a certain reason. For instance, if you find that you're a really angry, upset person, and every time you sit to meditate, you're like reliving old arguments, or you're angry at yourself for things you've done, or you feel resentment, you know, and you're kind of stuck there. Well, instead of trying to make your mind peaceful, but you keep hitting these walls of anger, maybe you could sit and do a meditation on anger. What does it feel like to be angry? Yeah, why do I get angry? What, what is anger, what does it give me? That feeling of, it almost feels powerful angry, right? It's like an energy, it feels powerful but it's destructive, it can be destructive. Why do I use anger like this? Actually, what's behind that anger? I'm just actually hurt, I'm frustrated, right? I'm disappointed in something. And to take an object and to kind of meditate on it and start to pull it apart and understand it more deeply, this contemplation, this is beneficial. It can lead you into a deep meditative state. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like an active process that can then start to shave off some of the impurities in the mind to start to get it more into that nice place. And that's not something that I teach probably because I personally am doing that constantly. I'm one of those people that just, I'm always thinking about things and trying to figure things out and understand things and working on things. My mind is like always going. So I never feel like I need to teach that just because in my reality, that's actually something that's just part of me that I'd actually more like to shut off than I'd like to teach more of to people. Um, but that's there, right? That reflection on themes, feeling into themes. Also, for instance, loving kindness, there's a sort of meditation called metta meditation in Buddhism, loving kindness, where you reflect, you know, um, may all beings be happy, may they be free, may I be happy, may my family, my friends, that you start building up a feeling of love, wishing uh, altruistic kind of um, benefit to those around you, to all beings. And that builds up a beautiful feeling in you, which eventually becomes the meditation object, which then sinks your mind in, right? Whereas when we're relaxing and feeling the breath, that brings up eventually peace and relaxation, which is a nice feeling, which sinks your mind in. So ultimately, the, the goal of any kind of method you take is that it builds up uh, an energy that has a, a pleasant emotional state attached to it, and that's what sinks your mind in deeply. Is that's when the mind gets really subtle, when it feels good to be where it is, and that's when it allows it to drop. Okay. So when I began practicing meditation in college, my teacher said to me, every Wednesday at 7 p.m., and he lived in Germany, he said, I'm going to send you energy. So every Wednesday at seven, meditate so you can receive the energy. And I said, okay. So at seven o'clock, I would sit and meditate. And sure enough, I mean, I'd start sitting at maybe 640. I wouldn't really know what time it is. I'd just be sitting. And then at some point, I just started feeling 
kind of the hair raising in my body and I'd see kind of like flashing lights and I'd feel this, um, yeah, I don't even know how to describe it, kind of vibration coming into my body. And then this big kind of wave would come through and throw me into this really deep place and then eventually I'd come out of it and I'd look at the clock and yeah, it was right around seven. So it, it worked, however he did that, it worked. Um, but I started like that. I sat once a week for 10, 15 minutes, same time. I sat in the same place in my bedroom. I went to Home Depot, bought a little strip of carpet, put it down, put a little Buddha statue. I made myself like a little meditation nook in my, and I had just, it was in college, I had literally just a room. I didn't have much space, but I just dedicated one little part of that space to meditation, which I would say is quite helpful when you're beginning, especially when you're trying to build up a practice because you know that that's your place to go to meditate. Whereas if you sit on your bed, it's also easy to lay down and go back to sleep. Or if you sit somewhere else, maybe you're like looking at, oh God, I have to clean or all oh, I want. You know, there's, it's like the, if you give a mouse a cookie book, right? If you give the mouse a cookie, he wants milk. If you give him milk, he wants a napkin. If you give him the napkin, he wants to make a paper airplane and then he wants to play outside and then he gets tired and he wants to sleep and then he's hungry so he wants a cookie and it keeps going. That's really how the mind is, is, you know, I know when I tried to build up my practice, I'd sit and I'd say, oh, you know, I could really go for a tea, you know, and I'd go and make a tea and sit, oh, okay, got my tea. And I'd say, oh, and I want to drink the tea, oh, it's too hot, okay, I'm waiting, I'd start to meditate, okay, can I drink it now? And it's kind of this weird stop and go thing, because you're, you, yeah, you kind of let the mind go, and at some point, right, you just have to say, okay, like, enough. You know, for the next, whatever, 10 minutes, just don't touch your tea, just don't do anything else, just be here. And um, I think I take it for granted just because I've been meditating for, I don't know what, 15 years now or more, and sometimes quite intensely, sometimes up to you know, 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day and stuff. So you know, for me, it's not a thing. I could just sit wherever I am and drop right in. But um, I do very much remember at those beginning years, it was for me important to have uh, the same time, the same place, to make it a part of my routine, to make it a part of my routine I sat down there, I knew my mind made that mental mark. You know, you lay in bed, your mind knows this is your time to sleep or be restless, whatever. You know, I sat down in the meditation spot and it said this is the place to meditate. So that's, I, I would say if you're interested in that, that's a great thing to do. Create a little meditation spot, place for yourself, do that there. Do it regularly if you can, even if it's once a week for five minutes, as long as it's regular. And once you get that regularity, then you can start expanding it. Um, and that being said, if you're somebody who hates regularity, who feels like their cup is already overflowing, they don't have time, they don't have space, they don't want another thing on their plate, you know, then I would really say then just whenever you feel like it. Um, we're all very different. We all work differently. Some people thrive in structures. Some people rebel when they're put in structures. So you have to find for yourself what works how your own practice works and fits. And you have to make it very personal like that. And I have taught meditation in schools. I think it's great. There's no age that's too young, right? It's just about finding the way to, um, you know, present it, I would say, to kids correctly, that they really know it's just about being present. It's just about being here, breathing, relaxing, letting go, feeling safe with that, um, lack of stimulation. It's pretty hard for kids just to feel safe. Hard for adults too, right? But to start just feeling safe in that lack of stimulation. So that's kind of just covering the themes you guys mentioned. And I think I also, just from that place, 
want to just give us a little bit more, yeah, meditative kind of, build up some momentum for meditation. So last time we sat for 45, actually we sat for almost 50 minutes, believe it or not, last time. I lied to you. I didn't want to scare you, so I said 40. Um, so what happens when you start sitting longer? Okay. When you start sitting, so I'll say, you know, I've been on retreats where we sat for 10 hours a day. Okay. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And for a number of days. So it's every, you don't know if you're awake or asleep. Every, you know, you go to bed for, you know, four or five hours. You, you, know, you haven't used much energy during the day, so you kind of just pass out from exhaustion, but then you just wake up at four in the morning and you're up and you kind of meditate again. And so, you know, the, the darkness and the light, they kind of play together because you're always half awake, half asleep. And something that I've noticed during the times that I've been on retreat is that there's different times of the day that my mind is more alert. I would say 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. are my favorite times to meditate. Uh, I can meditate from 10 a.m. That's when my biorhythm's kind of up, 10 a.m. to 12, to lunchtime, I'm really present. Then I eat lunch, the biorhythm drops. Um, I'm just a kind of, you know, unmindful, floaty mess, usually until like six, seven o'clock, and then the meditation picks up, and then I can sit until like three, three in the morning. Sometimes I could sit through the whole night. Um, at night, the mind sometimes can drop in because the world is asleep, so the mind can sometimes be awake because everything else is kind of turned off. But what I noticed in that time is that the mind during the day has times where it meditates better and sometimes worse. And on top of that, within a single meditation, right, you'll be in thought, then you'll drop out and you'll be meditating, then you'll kind of be in like a weird daze, then you'll click back and you're like, oh God, I'm still sitting here. And you kind of want to open an eye, like, is everyone still here? Did, everyone, did I fall asleep or something? You know? And that kind of you know, fading in and out of, of different mental states, that's very much a part of it, especially when you're trying to when you're learning and figuring things out, that you're, you're getting into that space, but you're not really sure what's what or you know, how to deepen it. So you just kind of put yourself as far out there as you can, and maybe you'll end up falling asleep, or maybe you'll just be kind of floaty. And that's a space that slowly you just learn how to navigate by throwing yourself into it again and again and again. That, right, you'll meditate, and after a, you know, many times doing that, you'll say, okay, I kind of feel like I'm just spacing out. So how to bring a little bit more presence in, yeah. Maybe I'll pay more attention to the breath, right? Versus just letting go into kind of that like, uh, like dull kind of sleepy feeling. Yeah, or you'll notice that your mind is still kind of overactive. So you say, okay, maybe I'll start paying more attention to the feeling of the belly rising and falling, right? Or maybe I'll start to feel the space around me and kind of breathe that in or feel the peace and relaxation. So you slowly kind of start playing and it's really hard for me. I think I have one of the hardest jobs there is in a way because I do my best to kind of guide people to that place, but it's such a personal journey for each one of us. And I can kind of give you some little tips about how to get there. But you know, if we were playing basketball in the gym, I could look at you and say, no, like, you know, turn your leg a little bit more and throw like this. And you can kind of see what you're doing. I can give pointers and I can't do that. I don't know what's going on in your mind. I don't know what's happening in your world. I don't know where your perceptions are at. I can, in this state, give you some information, give you a bit of a roadmap, feed some kinds of you know, energies in you to kind of try to push you in a certain direction. 
but I have no control over what's going on with you once I you know, start the meditation. And that's, for me, hard because I would love to have dials that I could turn to kind of bring your minds you know, into that balance. And I think that's what a great teacher is, is they know how to push those buttons to kind of get people in the zone. Um, I have like middling success with that. Some people I can get kind of calm and some people I have no hope with. I just try and I'm like, okay, I don't know. Because ultimately each one of you is on a very personal journey. And, you know, I'm one who can get myself into that zone so I can kind of tell you what it feels like to be there. I can kind of tell you more or less what you should or shouldn't be doing to get yourself in there. But ultimately I'm, I'm not going to be able to give you that final kick. Ultimately, you are going to have to figure out how to give yourself that through trial and error, through just figuring it out, putting yourself in that state. Um, I wouldn't say there's such a thing as like failing at meditation. Even if you fall asleep, maybe that's just what your mind needed. Some of my best meditations I had is when I tried to sit through a night. I'd be sitting maybe at about midnight. I'd be kind of like nodding, you know, I'd be trying to sit instead of sleeping. I'd be nodding off. Um, When I was on retreat, I actually took a drawer and I put the drawer down, I took the mattress off my bed and I put a drawer and I sat in the drawer so I didn't lie down at night. That was like my way of not lying down is I made myself like a little, I don't even know what it'd be called, like a little crate and I sat in it on the blanket and I did that for a bunch of nights in a row. And yeah, some nights I ended up actually just falling over and sleeping like on the drawer. But, um, but that's how I tried to keep myself upright and awake and meditating. And about you know midnight, I'd be kind of nodding off and maybe from midnight to 12.30, I'd be kind of nodding off. And then around 12.45, one, the mind would suddenly click back in. And just by touching that sleep state enough, the mind, for whatever reason, had enough rest. And then it was able to drop back up into meditation. And then I sat for three hours. You know, I'd then sit from one until four in the deepest meditations I've ever sat in. Um, And I had to go through that state of sleeping first. The mind was tired. The mind was exhausted and it needed to kind of reclaim some of its energy by resting. And it got just the amount of sleep it needed by me just not lying down, that it then clicked back in and could really meditate super deep and peacefully for a long time. So there's no real right or wrong way to do it and it's hard to know what's the next way forward. And that's also why last time I gave us more time and also I would love again tonight to give us more time because we're at the point, I've been feeling this group's getting stronger in your practice. The more that we sit, the more I feel the presence in the room. And I feel that you're still here after all these weeks, so you have definite, you know, you have a devotion to this practice for yourself. You, you're going for it, you're trying it out, you're really trying. Um, this is what, half the size of the group when we started, or a little bit less even? And I said that the first day, I was like, look to your left and look to your right. By the last class, only one of you is gonna be here. And I would say like more or less, right? There was, I think, 30 people in the sign-up. So, you know, you're here for a reason. You've, you've kind of kept, kept going and you're going to go for the next two classes. And I feel the best thing that I could do now as a teacher is to actually let you struggle, is to start holding space to say we're going to sit for a longer amount of time and we're going to sit in there together and you're going to have to figure out what to do in that space. You know, I feel like I've given you a lot of the lessons that I can give you, and now it's really up for you to try it out yourself. And it might not be a struggle, right? You might sit and be like, oh, thank God Seth stopped talking. I can sit peacefully now, you know, right? Or maybe you'll sit there and it's not going to be working, and you're like, hmm, what's going on? And that's your process, right? That's how you're going to learn. 
that's like when my mom pushed me on the bicycle that first time and she's like, he's probably going to fall over and wipe out and hurt his leg. But there comes that point where I can't hold on to the handlebars anymore with him. I have to just push him and like tell him to pedal and see what happens. And I feel with our group, we're at that point where I really kind of, this is the support now. This is the teacher, the space that we're all sitting here together, present, that you can't go and, you know, stimulate yourself with a television or your phone or something to eat, right? We're in this room and we have to now just sit here and be with ourselves. And that's kind of the greatest gift that we can give each other. And slowly I'm feeling like that's what I'm, al- like I'm able to give you now as well, is to give you the space to really start to go deeper into your own practice and to, to make your own experiences and to find your own tools, aside from what I've already taught you. So, I mean, with that, I, would, I personally would love to do another like 45-minute meditation tonight. Um, but again, I leave that open to the group that if there's anybody that says, okay, that's too much for me. Uh, I actually had a kind of funny thought that it would be interesting to do like a walking meditation around the library, you know, at some point. That's like a cool space if we want to do like a walking with, with the sitting. But uh, yeah, but I'm getting to the point where I personally feel like starting to get longer sittings is going to really be of the greatest benefit for everybody. So what I think I'm going to do is similar to what I said last time is that we're going to do a 45-minute sit. And if at any point during that sit, anybody feels like they just need to lay down on the floor, they just said, like, I can't, I've had enough, and I need to just peace out, you can. If at any point people feel like, again, they can't do it, they want to just stand up, or you can feel free to actually silently stand up, just as silent as you can, and slowly walk. And you could even just walk back and forth doing walking meditation between the rows of books, which is perfect, actually. When we were you know, in the monastery, there was walking meditation rows in the forests that were like that. It's just a strip where you walk, you turn around, and you walk back. So I'm going to kind of say that um, you know, it's 7.30, so for the next hour even, it'll be kind of like this open practice session where I'll lead us in the sitting meditation, and I'll lead us deep into that. And then I'll kind of leave us in that space. And I encourage you to see what you can do in that space and to try to get deeper in there. But if you feel like it's really too much, like you're not even close to being in the zone, uh, you're going to explode if you have to sit any longer. And you feel that really what you need is just to do some walking meditation. Feel free just to silently stand up and just walk out and just do some walking back and forth in the rows. And then you could even come and sit back down in your seat after a couple of minutes if that felt good to you. So I'm giving you now a little bit more autonomy over your practice. This is turning almost into like a little bit of a meditation retreat style kind of thing, which is like a beautiful thing that we're at that place we can do that. And uh, yeah, I guess that's kind of all I have to say. So why don't we just get into positions that feel comfortable for us? Um, honestly, if there's anybody that already off the top of the bat says, I actually am going to do some walking meditation before I even sit, you can feel free to get up and even do a little bit of walking over there. Um, so it's all fair game at this point. And otherwise, I'll start leading us into the meditation. 